0: Glad you're here today, especially if you're visiting with us. Thanks for trying out new life. We are uh, in the second week of um, a part of series that we've been working on all year called Stronger, but this, this chunk of it is um, about being stronger relationally. I'll explain that here in a minute, but um, man, what we are talking about around here, it hit me really hard this week, and it, I know it hit some of you. I got some Facebook messages and some emails this week, and um, what, we dis- what we established last week is that everything in life boils down to relationships. Everything in life boils down to either relationship with God or relationship with the people he's put in your life. And if you don't believe me, find somebody who just got diagnosed with cancer, and they'll tell you. Everything in their life boils down to relationships, and they're going to go make them right, and they're going to start, uh, you know, what you don't see, I just found this out recently, it's become an epiphany to me, that you see very few terminally ill people who work 60 hours a week. <laughs> they, they get their priorities right at that point. You know, you get your priorities right when you see what things boil down to. Um, and uh, a lot of us are trying to do that around here before it's, it's too late, truthfully, um, with our relationships. So we're excited you're here today. I want to give you a deep breath. Um, and it is mushroom season. Um, and I, I just had one of those weeks where um, th- this week was one of those crazy weeks where I lost perspective, you know, and spend more time on work than I spend at home, and, and mom and dad called me one evening and said, hey, you got to come for dinner tonight. I said, I don't have time. I just don't have time to come for dinner. And Dad said, well, you got to eat. you got to come for dinner. I said, I don't have time to dinner. He said, your, your mom and your brother found four pounds of mushrooms, and I said, what time's dinner? <laughs> and uh, that was one day early this week, four pounds of mushrooms, and I got there to the house, and um, the whole house smells, you know, if, if you've eaten mushrooms, you know, it smells like grease and... Uh, oh. Walked in the house, and my brother and my mom spent all day finding these mushrooms, and my dad had spent all evening cooking them, and I had one job, eat them. Oh, I sat down, and I grabbed a big pile of mushrooms, I put them on my plate, and I mean, I almost got a tear in my eye, you know? And it's not like it is some years, in our house some years, it's like, hey guys, we found six. So we're going to cut them up and put them in your eggs, you know? It's like, guys, please eat until you're sick, because there's another pile waiting for you when this is done. I mean, it, it, just, it just keeps coming. It felt like heaven. It did. And I looked down, and I said, I looked across the table, and my mom and my brother picked them, and my dad cooked them, and I said, what is my role here? You know? It's just to eat them, and I, it doesn't make sense to me. And Dad said, we just, we just love you that much. You know? We just, and I want you to know today that we have messed up God. And when I say we have messed up the feeling about God when it comes to people, I mean the church and preachers have often messed up the relationship and the feeling that you should have about God. We have as preachers, and I think in a lot of cases for good reason and with a good intention, we have made you feel like God wants you to do something to earn his love for you. Like you, if he's going to give you a big plate of mushrooms, you've got to do something to earn it. And the truth is that that's not ever been God's view of you. That he has forever wanted you to just sit at his table and eat the mushrooms. <laughs> just sit at his table and enjoy the love that he has for you. Now what happens is when, when you're done, I, I, that, that night when I was done with mushrooms, I mean I could barely stand up. I was so packed full of mushrooms. But more than ever in my life since I've been eating out there, I, couldn't, I can't ever remember a time where I wanted to do the dishes so bad. You know? Because here, all this stuff had been done for me. I got it free Nobody asked me to do the dishes. Nobody made me feel guilty about doing the dishes. I wanted to do the dishes because it's just something little I could do to say, hey, I want to be a part of this. That's the picture that God wants for you in your life. When He gives you this free grace that we're talking about, when He gives you heaven, when He gives you the peace that passes all understanding, when He gives you the grace in your life that you need to get through the day, you need to know that it doesn't come with strings. Truth is, you know, years, three or four years ago, we had a terrible mushroom season, and I had to buy my mushrooms. And they tasted good, but not near as good as the free ones. (laughs) Truth is, you don't have to buy your grace. And there's nothing like free grace. But here's what it makes you do. See, we've had this backwards. Backwards. What we thought is that there's this to-do list, and preachers do this to you, so this is my fault. If you've ever got this from me, I want to stop it right now. We say, hey, there's this big to-do list. When you get that list done, you can have the mushrooms. You can have God's grace for you once you get this list done. But truth is, that's, in, that's Satan. That's Satan in our lives saying this is the order, when truthfully what God has said, that's not the order. The order is the grace is free. The mushrooms are free. But when, you're, when you receive it, you're going to want to do the dishes. When you receive the free gift, you're going to want to do everything you can to give back to the one who loves you so desperately, he would give you all of this for free. So before we get started today, I, I want you to know, you know, sometimes you just get a, a lesson from a plate of mushrooms. Maybe, maybe that's just preacher. But I want you to know this morning that before I preach this sermon, you need to hear that what I'm about to say this morning is hard. What I'm about to say this morning is not the low-hanging fruit of life. It's not the easy way to do life, and if you're not careful, it'll sound like steps to get to to God's love, but the truth is, that's not what it is this morning. So before we ever start this, I want you to hear this morning that you don't have a list of things that you have to do to gain God's love. You accept it, and if you've never done that today, I can help you with with that experience. But if you've accepted the love of God, you don't have to earn it anymore. What we're doing now is making our life consistent with what God says it takes to live life the way he intended, with peace and hope and joy, and to make him proud. And so that's what this is about this morning. Before we get started, um, I'm going to ask if you would, to bow with me. What we're going to do is what we do every week. If you're visiting with us, this is just our MO. It's who we are. We we pause every week to give God his due, to stop all the things in our lives for a moment, and say, God, whatever's going on in my life, you take control of it, and I want to listen to you. So let's do that this morning. got yeah, it'd be real easy for us to come in and think of this service as one more thing to do this week. And when 11 o'clock or 11.30 rolls around, we check it off our list. It'd be really easy for us to come in and nod our head when the preacher talks and smile and even maybe amen and mm-hmm every now and then and then walk out the door the same kinds of people we were. So at all costs today, God, would you get our hearts right for life change, not for a smart thing, not for a good idea, but for life change. So that we can not earn your love and grace, but respond to it with our very lives. God, those of us in this place today who have never experienced the peace that comes with knowing you, whether it's because they have never accepted the grace of Jesus, or whether it's because they accepted the grace of Jesus and never actually engaged in a relationship with you that caused peace in their life. Whatever the reason today, God, would you begin to lead them to what it means to have real, tangible, physical peace in all aspects of their life? God, I pray your blessings over our time. Pray that you make me more than I am today. That you would allow the words coming out of my mouth to make changes in lives of people, not because I've said them, but because they came from you your son's name amen i love this sermon series it's easy to preach we are talking about relationships part of the reason this is an easy sermon series to preach is because jesus said and i believe this firmly and if you have people in your family who are ill or you have desperate times in your family you believe it firmly too that everything boils down to relationships in fact a guy came to jesus one saying one day and said what's the most important thing all most important rule the most important law everything jesus said everything boils down to two things the relationship you have with God, loving God with everything you are, and the relationship you have with the people that God has put in your life. And so as I preach these sermons, the truth is I got a ton of materials. In fact, there are many of you sitting in the pew today that could step right up here and preach this sermon. I got in this morning, and there's a whole group of people, you heard Rick um, say this morning, a whole group of people that went to the Orange Conference in Atlanta this week and got completely motivated by the best, some of the best speakers in the world and they have to come back and hear me. And... Um, I came back, and I said, good morning, Stacy." and you know, Stacey Sanders takes care of, well, a lot of our things around here, and uh, I went up and said, good morning, Stacey, I heard you had a good weekend in Atlanta, and she said, good morning, hey, we have a whole bunch of things to do around here, <laughs> I mean, it was like, hey, let's skip the pleasantries, there's work to do, and the truth is, it, her ideas came from this Orange Conference and her passion for the people in this community, and it all revolves around relationships, whether it's marriages, which, by the way, we're going to work on around here. And that's part of the plan that we've got coming forward is uh, some classes, some great opportunities for you to gauge, engage in, in relationship counseling, relationship building with other people who are dealing with the same things you are. But whatever you're dealing with this morning, when it comes to relationships, w- what's easy to do in our life is to, to look left and right of you and compare yourselves to the people around you. Now, before we get any further in this today, you need to know that what I'm about to say over the next 25 minutes or so, I have comp- many, much of it, I have ripped off completely from one of my mentors. He doesn't know he's one of my mentors, but Andy Stanley, um, who is uh, one of those people that I listen to on a regular basis. If you, if you want to listen to, to a, just an amazing um, preacher on a regular basis, um, you know, besides on Sundays, um, no. Then um, come see me. I'll give you some links to this stuff. It's all free, and he is an amazing speaker. But he, he, he preached this sermon, it felt like, directly to me this week. Um, and, and as I started developing the, this message, it spoke to me really deeply. And I want to give credit where credit is due. Um, those of you who've been to the Orange Conference may have heard this sermon a little bit. Um, but uh, Andy preached a sermon series... Um, that is really changing the way I look at the people around me and look at my own relationships. And and it's it's called the comparison trap. And the idea is that in our lives, the more people we put around us in our lives, and the closer we get to these people, the more we begin to look to the left and the right of us to say, hey, am I okay? I do this every week. Every Thursday or Friday, I start looking at my neighbor's yard to see if he's mowed yet. I start counting the dandelions to see how many he has compared to me. And if his dandelions count is somewhere near mine, I'm okay. Or if his grass is somewhere near mine, I'm okay. So what I do is not get out of my car, pull into my driveway, look at my grass and go, well, it's a little high, maybe I need to mow it. I first look at his grass to decide whether or not I need to mow. And if he hasn't mowed, my first thought is, okay, I'm good. I'm going to take a Saturday off. But like this weekend on a crazy weekend where my Saturday's so busy, I come home and I got to tell you, this is the honest truth, I get in the car and on the way to my house, I start dreading looking at his yard because I know mine's not mowed and his is. And the truth is it's silly and it's a yard and it's one of those weird things I need to get over in my life, but I realize this is not just my yard that I do this with. I do this with the friends I run into from high school. Hey man, how's it going? Didn't you graduate in 92, 93, something like that? Yeah, 93. Where do you live? How's your house? What kind of job do you have? What school do your kids go to? What kind of car are you driving? And then you go, oh, that's a 1977 Jeep Cherokee. I'm okay. Don't we? Don't we do this? In fact, we do this so much that we begin this comparison trap, Andy Stanley says, we begin to compare ourselves in every category of our lives. Whether it's our cars and our yards or our children and our wives and our husbands. Sometimes we compare our musical abilities, our hobbies. If you're a golfer in this place today, there is not one golfer in this place today who doesn't like to see someone shank it in the woods just a little bit. <laughs> right? You get up and if he puts it in the woods, you just, you, there's something in you that goes, oh good, I'm okay. And then you usually shank one in the woods too, but at least you're on the same level. This is the way life works, and and what God says is, if you're going to do this with your life, in any category of your life, if you're going to compare yourselves to the people around you, you are going to, I love this phrase, if if you're asleep, wake up for a minute, because you're going to resonate with this, you're going to realize how true the Bible is. If you do this in your life, the Bible calls it chasing after the wind, and you go, well, how, how would you ever chase the wind? You can't even see the wind. Yep. See, the problem is, if you chase after the wind, you'll never catch it. You're always getting the end of it, you know? You're always just almost, oh, I've got it, and then it's something else. And that's exactly the picture. If you are comparing yourselves to the people around you, you're chasing after the wind. Stanley calls it living in the land of Ur. <laughs> I love this. And I could rip this off and try to change it, make it my own, but it's so perfect the way he does it. So I'm going to flat tell you this is his idea. And here's what he says. He says most of us live in the land of Ur. We want to be skinnier. We want to be faster. We want to be smarter. We want to be sharper. We want our husbands to be skinnier. We want our wives to be less naggier. We want our yard to be shorter. We want our grass to be greener. We want our job to be more funner. We want our kids to be more behavior. We want everything in our life to be more-er. We look at somebody, and it's not good to have what I have unless it's a little more er than what you have. And here's what, this is what happens to us. And if you don't think this is you today, you need to stop and look, because my guess is there is a place, at least one place in your life that this is happening, where when somebody comes to you with something, the very first thing that comes into your mind as you're having a conversation is, am I more er than them? Am I more together than them? This happens if you're a golfer. The very first thing you ask a guy is, what's your handicap? For me, it's putting. But usually there's a number associated with it. What's your handicap? Well, it's a six. And you go, ah, I'm more er than you. you know. And then you can carry on the conversation and ask them. But until you get that as part of the conversation, until you figure out who's the most er in this room, if you're in this place, sometimes you can't even move past that. In fact, there are some of us And I say us because I've been there and I'm working on this. Some of us, living in the land of Ur is not enough. Some of us need to live in the land of Est. You want to be the best, the biggest, the smartest, the fastest, the richest, the prettiest, the skinniest. And man, if you're caught in that trap, you need to know you are chasing after the wind and you are heading for a cliff, especially when it comes to your relationships. One of the things I hate about me I used to never preach this way, but man, I'm to the point in my life where you all mean too much to me. I'm ready to be honest. One of the things I hate most about me, I assume you have too. And I'm ready to get it out in the open. When something bad happens to somebody, especially somebody that's a little more er than me, there is something in me, deep in me, that celebrates just for a second. Now, it doesn't usually come out of my mouth. I'm smarter than that now. But somewhere deep in my heart, there is something that jumps when I hear, yeah, did you hear so-and-so went out of business? Yeah, did you hear that that rival you have across town, the buddy that you went to high school with that was always your bully in high school? Did you hear he lost his job, his wife left him? As a preacher, I should fall on my knees and be broken. But as a human, there is this thing inside me that goes, well, then that means I'm er. And I need you to know this morning, Even if nobody hears that, even if it never comes out of your mouth, if you've gotten so good at hiding that feeling that nobody else knows and you won't even admit it to me or admit it to yourself this morning, you need to know God sees your heart. The Bible says he doesn't even care what comes out of your mouth if it's not consistent with what's in your heart. He sees what's in your heart before he sees what's in your mouth. So here's the thing this morning. It's wide open to him. He sees it completely. And here's what he knows about it, that that is causing death in you. It is not a matter of distraction. It is not a funny little thing that comes out on Facebook in a bad comment every now and then. It's not a little bit of gossip that the girls do on a Friday night sitting around a, 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 a table. This is not a little thing and a little character flaw that you, you just laugh it off. This, is, this will kill your relationships. It will kill your joy. It will kill your peace if you don't take control of it. Living in the land of Ur is something we all do. and There's a guy that I want to talk about today. His name is King Solomon. and He was such an incredibly rich man. There was nobody, in fact the Bible says that there was really nobody that was any more er than this guy in pretty much every category. Had the prettiest wives, and I said wives because at that point he had concubines, which were like many wives. Um, lots of pretty wives. He had more money than anybody in the world. He had kingdoms. He had, he had kings and queens coming to him for advice. He was one of the wisest, smartest men who ever lived. He was um, just, he had everything. He was If they played golf back then, he'd be scratch golfer. I mean, he was er, he was it, he was est in everything. And he, he said some things that in the book of Ecclesiastes. And if you're, if you're not a Christian, or if you're trying to decide what's true or not, this is a great book of the Bible to start reading. Ecclesiastes, now it's hard to read in some ways. I would, I would encourage you to, to not just pick up a King James Version and read, start reading Ecclesiastes because it gets confusing and there's lots of vows and those and those kinds of things. You pick up a version of the message or of the NIV. If you don't have one, there's one on the back of your pew there and you can take it with you if you don't own a Bible. Um, but Ecclesiastes is a book written by this man, the richest man, the smartest man, the wisest man that ever lived. Maybe other than Jesus when it comes to being wise. This guy had it everything, in his life. And he writes from incredible perspectives. And he says this, here's what he says about this land of Ur and about this relationship problem that we have when it comes to comparing ourselves with the people around us. He says, and I saw all, all that all toil and all achievement spring from one person's envy of another. This too is meaningless and a chasing after the wind. His comment is this, that a lot of people have lost perspective. In fact, that's the way we usually say it in our house. Holy cow, John, you have lost it, you know? Have you ever been one of those places where you're yelling or you're working? For me, I don't yell. I don't really scream at home. I don't do anything, but what happens to me is I start walking and working really fast. I start doing things really hard and really fast, and sometimes my teeth grit together like this, and then somebody asks me something, and I go, no, I don't. And then I move on and I kick the dog out of the way. And, you know, I start that whole thing and I just get fast and I get quick and I get, and then every now and then Risha will kind of look at me like, oh my gosh, you have lost it. And what we mean by that is you need to take a step back because you have lost perspective on your life for a moment. And normally I can stop and normally it's Reese that says something cute and obnoxious to me, you know, and that I remember that there's more important things. But this is what Solomon has said is that, that those of us who are pursuing life and pursuing big, bigger TVs, bigger cars, good retirements. Even those who, it may not be selfish, even those who are pursuing an account where I can pay off my, col- my college loans for my kids. Those of us who are trying to give our kids a better life, trying to give our, our wives a better vacation or our husbands a little better retirement. Those of us who are trying to, even unselfishly, we just pursue these things. It's like me walking around the house kicking the dog and gritting my teeth. At some point, you need to stop and go, You have lost it. You have lost perspective. And this is what happens to Solomon. And he said, here's what happens. I saw, I saw, I've seen this in my life, that all the toil, all the achievement, all the moving around, all the running that we do in our lives, all the drop the kids off here and then drop the kids off there and then pick the kids up and then they gotta be here at seven and then they're, oh, it's 7.45, they have a birthday party. Well, let me call her and tell her to be there at 8.15 because, and by the time the kids are getting there, they're gonna go, which party are we celebrating? You know, I mean, they're, they're totally dead and you've lost perspective, Solomon says all of that comes, all of that boils down. It comes from envy. Here's what he says. Achievements spring from one person's envy of another. You know what's amazing to me? This this has happened. The older I get, the more I totally understand this. Um, But when I was a kid, my dad used to say, when I would say, Dad, that's just not fair. He had these rules that I just did not like. Dad, I don't understand that rule. That's just not fair. Dad, I don't understand why you treat me like that. And he'd say, someday you will. Like, Whatever, I hope I don't ever. Guess what? I'm starting to understand some of those rules. And if, if you came to Jesus not that long ago, or maybe you haven't grown much in your faith since you've come to Jesus, and maybe you haven't ever, you have heard of the Ten Commandments, right? And you get through them, and Jesus says, do not kill, and you go, yes, I got that one. I'm errer than you. I never killed nobody. And maybe you can even get through the do not commit adultery. Maybe you can get through that that stuff. Maybe most of us can't get through the Sabbath part, but we don't really know what the Sabbath is, and we're like, take a break. That must have been for them and not for us. And you go, okay, I can skip that. Then you get down where he says, don't covet your neighbor. Don't covet your neighbor's wife. Don't covet your neighbor's house. And you go, well, that sounds nice, you know. That sounds like an Old Testament thing to do. And you go, God, I don't understand why you make up those rules. You know, I don't understand. And then you come to your point in your life Maybe it's the end of your life. Maybe you come to a point in your life when your doctor diagnoses you with something that is terminal. And you go, oh, yeah, I get it. Don't covet what he has. Because, for one, I'll never have a good relationship between him, with he and me. And I will never appreciate, love, and respect the things that I do have when I am desperately wanting something somebody else does. No matter what it is. If you struggle with a lack of peace today, and I know you do, I know I do, you need to know this is one of the reasons. When you can stop looking around you, wanting what they have, wanting to be a little more Esther, a little more Ur, it will change your relationships with those people, but it will also change your relationship with God. It will change how much you love what you have already been given when you stop desperately seeking and pursuing the things that someone else has been given. He said all this toil comes from this, from this envy. He speaks of the word envy as like a disease. And it truthfully it is. It's a disease that starts small and looks a little harmless and it grows and it gets bigger and bigger. And the next thing you know, they've opened you up and it's everywhere. And it's taken over your life. He says it leads to a life that feels like you're chasing after the wind. So what should we do? You know, what what should we do? Should we just sit, fold our hands, and pray every day and, and, and just just spend all of our time playing golf and hanging out with people and building relationships and not ever work and not ever toil and not ever, and Solomon goes, no, wait a minute, I'm the richest, I'm the hardest working, I'm, I'm the est, and I'm telling you, that's not what I'm saying here. In fact, he says, fools fold their hands and ruin themselves. That's not what I'm saying. He says, but here's the thing, and don't miss this today. This is a little, um, a little shot straight from, from the original language here that's an amazing thing. He says, better is one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. I know it sounds like poetry this morning, but if this hits your heart, it will change your life. Better is one handful of life that God has given you. One handful of things that honestly... The picture here is an open hand. It's like, God, you can have it, you can take these from me, and you can put more in this hand. I'm never going to do this. Better is one handful that is open and full of peace. The word tranquility means peace. Better is one handful. Here's here's more more practical for you if you need this. Better is a Saturday at home, at the trailer, than a weekend in Hawaii, (laughs) with the mess of a family and the anxiety that comes from the credit card debt that you're piling up. Better is a week in, in, a, in a cardboard box with a family you love and a life of peace than a single day in a mansion with so much anger, so much angst that you can't even hardly breathe. You know this is true. But man, it's hard to make it real, isn't it? Risha and I didn't agree to this, but I, I'm going to tell you what we talked about on the way here a little bit this morning. Risha and I, she's okay with it. She loves me. It's a good thing. But uh, many of you know I struggle financially. And the struggles that I have financially are, are my, my issue. This is my doing. This is me buying things because I wanted to be her. This is me engaging in a house that I can't afford, or a car that I can't afford, or whatever, a long time ago. And the truth is, I've made some major changes in my life in the last 10 years. But in the, the previous 10 years, I made so many big mistakes that I'm still paying for them. You understand that? Financially, yes, but even emotionally, I'm still paying for those mistakes. And on the way here today, or earlier this week, my uncle came to me and he said, Hey, um, you know, we have an apartment above our garage. You ever get to the point where you just want peace financially at all costs? You can have that for $200 a month. You just pay the utilities, just take care of it. You can have that for $200 a month. And I went, <laughs> oh boy, that's good. That's, that's funny, you know. Here's the thing, Jimmy. I got two handfuls right now. Yeah, there's anxious, there's, tra- there's no tranquility, but I got two handfuls of life right now. I got, I got a big house, I got all this stuff, and man, the thought of moving above the garage, that's hilarious. And then I had a week where the anxiety piles up so high that you lose perspective. So on the way here for 40 minutes, Risha and I said, what would it look like for us to live above a garage? What would it look like for us to sell everything? What would it look like for us to release our hands and say, we don't need two handfuls with with this lack of peace. Better is one handful above the garage. Better is one handful with peace that passes all understanding than two handfuls of hell. And maybe it's not finances for you today. Maybe it's another thing in your life, but I want you to know today, bar none, That if you don't have peace in your life, give up whatever it costs to get it. Do you understand that today? This is what Solomon says: Better is one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. Next slide. I got to get moving. The beginning of this comparison trap is envy. We saw that. Next slide, Tanya. So he also says, here's the thing, this better than one handful, basically there is no win ever in comparing yourself to someone else. There is no win in ever looking side to side in any part of life and going, so if they are like this, then maybe I should be like this. And if if their yard's like this, maybe mine should be. There is never a win. It will always lead to a loss when you compare yourselves to other people. Next slide. And then he continues continues this really cool piece of scripture, Ecclesiastes 4.7, and he says, again, I saw something else meaningless under the sun. You ever heard the phrase, there's nothing new under the sun? That came from Solomon, Ecclesiastes. He uses that phrase all the, su- all the time, under the sun. The idea is, it doesn't matter what era you live in, it doesn't matter what time you live in, what country, what culture, there is th- this is true across the board. Again, I saw something else that's meaningless. There was a man all alone. He had neither... Son, nor brother. There was no end to his toil. Yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. The original language there, does, it, this does not quite do justice the original language. Basically what he's saying is that he was, this man had no brother and no son, no friends, no relationships. Because he had spent all of his time trying to be like them. <laughs> he had spent all of his life trying to build wealth, trying to build relationships, trying to even build personality traits, and trying to, oh, if I could just feel, if I could be a little more funny, you know? If I could just be a little more laid back, if I could be a really good speaker, if I could just be a little more like this. He spent all of his life doing this to the point where he got to a point in his life where he realized, I have no one, I have no relationships. Everybody either wants something from me, everyone around me, either is a friend of mine or close to me because they want something from me, or I'm with them because I want something from them. Do You know what I mean? Most of us have families and friends. But the truth is, every day, every day that we fall into this comparison trap, we push the relationship further away. Every time we have a conversation with somebody we love desperately, but something deep in us rejoices a little bit when they're in pain, it puts another gap in a relationship. I remember when I was going through my divorce. So in fact, to this day, one of the few worst times of my dad's life, my dad has a disease called Guillain-Barre. He was actually paralyzed from his neck down for a period of time. He doesn't mention that with bad times in his life. I've never heard him mention it. You ask him what's the worst time in his life? When John was going through his divorce was one of them. And then when, when Darren was going through his divorce, that was, that was one of them. Oh, and then that, remember that time John got the croup when he was really young and he went to the hospital and it, that was one of the worst times of my life. Well, how about the time where you were paralyzed from the neck down? How about that? Yeah, I don't really remember that. I don't remember that. There's a man, there's a guy who understands the kind of relationship, the kind of love that God intends for us to have for people. When something is broken in me, something breaks in him. There is never a moment when something breaks in me and my dad goes, in anywhere in him goes, woohoo. In any way. it's, it's, It's what God intends for you to have if you don't have it. If you can't do this, if you have spent so many years of your life building bad habits when it comes to relationships, you need to know you can start with the people you're closest to Today to start fighting that, to stop that. When you hear that come up, when you feel that come up, you get somewhere quiet and you come against it in the name of Jesus Christ, you fall on your knees to stop it because it will kill your relationships, it will kill your tranquility, it will, end, it will cause you to end up like this man surrounded by people yet alone when it comes to relationships. He says, therefore, no end to this toil, yet his eyes were content with the wealth. And he, he says this, for whom am I toiling? <laughs> And why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? Why am I working? Why am I trying this? Why am I keep working at being better in my life when I have ruined all of my relationships? This too is meaningless. I love this phrase. A miserable business, a terrible thing to engage in. Okay, I've sold you on this. Next slide. One more, Tanya. So here's what Paul says about this whole thing instead of comparing yourself to each other here's what he says he, in Romans chapter 8 he says the spirit you received pay attention I'm almost done the spirit you received brought about your you see what that word is adoption and the word here I love this the word here is not like our word for adoption it kind of is but not quite the truth is the Greeks at this point in history they adopted adults you never you didn't adopt babies at this point in history because babies would die in fact, you didn't even name a baby until it was to the point where you knew it was going to live because so many babies died. So you didn't have a baby and adopt it. You didn't even adopt a young child usually. Often you would adopt an adult. If you, if you had a family or a, you had a lot of property and you needed somebody to give that property to and you didn't have any sons and you didn't have any place to, to give that property, sometimes you would adopt somebody who you've developed a relationship with so you would have something to hand them off later down the road. So this word adoption was like, I'm going to invite you into my family. Paul says this, the spirit you received brought about your adoption, basically took you as an adult, or whatever time you decided to give your life to Jesus, and said, You are now a son of God. You are now a daughter of God. You are now family with God. And by him we may cry. And there's a word here. The word is Abba, and it sounds funny. Part of the reason it sounds funny because it's not English and it's not Greek. In fact, Paul didn't have a word for what God wanted us to call him. He couldn't come up with a word in Greek so he used this little Aramaic word that's Abba that Jesus used and it means this and some of you are really uncomfortable with this and I don't blame you and I've been there in my life too. The word Abba in English literally means daddy. It means that we can call dad, daddy. Now some of you have some bad connotations with that. But the truth is what God intends for you to come to him is not the way I grew up in church early and it was hands folded like this and the, oh God thou art so thou I and, and then when you're done with the thous and the those you have a normal conversation with the person next to you God intends for you to say hey daddy daddy my life hurts dad my my, my marriage is a mess dad my finances are upside down dad I don't understand this peace thing because I've never felt it dad I I just want to be who you say I am. So what God wants you to do today, and it's easier said than done, it takes practice, is to stop looking to your left and to your right to find out who you are, to to find out if you're okay. Stop looking to the left and right, stop comparing yourself to what other people say, and realize that your Heavenly Father loves you just like you are right now. The amazing thing about that is we, we know bad parents, don't even even average parents. Even parents that you would look at and go, boy, you guys are like couch parents. You know couch parents that sit on the couch and yell at their kids, tell them what to do. Those are couch parents. You know people that are even average that would never look at their kids and say, well, you're pretty good, but you're not as good as the neighbor's kids. You know kids like that? You know parents like that? Even, even average parents don't go, boy, I sure wish you were smarter like so-and-so. Or oh, I sure wish you were prettier like so-and-so's kids parents don't do that even average even eh, parents don't do that so how much more do you think god who's perfect who is all-loving all-powerful looks at you you think he ever ever looks at you and goes well you're you're doing pretty good spiritually but you're not as good as her you see how she had both hands raised during worship you think god ever does that would you ever do it to your kids Not even for a minute. Not even for a minute. So this morning you need to know, right where you are, whatever car you drive, whatever house you have, whatever debt is yours, whatever baggage, whatever addiction, whatever you have, right like you are, you're loved. And Rick's exactly right. He loves you, broken or not, but he loves you way too much to keep you broken. As the band comes up up today, I'm going to ask you some questions that are just going to make you mad. Some of you are going to be mad about these questions, but we need poked. I'm going to ask you these questions, and next week I'm going to come back, and we're going to talk a little bit more about them. But I want want you to, if you can't, these will be on the website too. You'll be able to take a look at these. I'll put them on the Facebook page as well, so if you don't get them written down, you, you don't have to. But here's the first one. Are you tired of trying to keep up with the people around you? Are you tired of trying to, uh, 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 maybe this is just me this morning, you tired of trying to look around and go, how much does he have in his retirement account? How much is his, his bank account? How much, is, how much is that car, and how much is this? And should I work a little harder? Well, how, are they working on Monday or not? Or how much should I take vacation? In? Oh, they took him to Hawaii? Well, now I've got to book someplace better than that. Oh, you mean they took him here? Oh, you mean the Christmas gifts were here? Are you tired of that? Are you broke from trying to keep up with the people around you? I am. Are you allowing what others have to keep? Uh, what, are you allowing what others have keep you from enjoying what you have? Whatever you have. You go, but John, you don't understand. I don't have anything. Yes, you do. But I don't have anything compared to... See? That's the trap. Does your spouse feel treasured or measured today? You feel like... you. Your spouse looks at you and goes, boy, I bet they wish I was so-and-so. I bet they wish I was just a little more in this way. I bet they wish I was a little nicer, a little sweeter, a little more helpful, a little smarter. Finally, who would you secretly enjoy seeing fail just a little bit? What is it in you that when somebody fails, you just a little bit of joy. I'll tell you, if you're not a Christian or if you're still kicking the tires on this thing, maybe you're listening online today and you're not even ready to come to church yet, you're just listening. I want you to know, if you don't believe in sin, the concept of sin, man, this is a great way to prove it to yourself. In the the belly of who you are, in the very guts of who you are, there is sin, there is this brokenness and it will not go away without the blood of Jesus Christ and without your diligently asking God to take it. So today, you got an opportunity to engage in peace. you got an opportunity to engage in relationships around you in a different way. To stop comparing them. To stop having conversations where you're looking for hoping you're the error in the conversation. And to start being content with who you are because God's content with what He's built. He's not content with leaving it that way. But He loves you just the way you are. Let me give you a chance today to get stronger in this way. I love visuals. I'm just not a really smart person, and I, the words don't always help me. I need a visual, too. To me, the visual today, if you need it while you close your eyes and you pray during this song, is, God, I might have two handfuls of life right now. I might be trying to get everything I can get out of life. But I'll give it all up for one handful of life with peace. And now what happens, just like with my life, it took me 10 years, 20 years to blow up my life financially. I've got to pay the consequences for that. And you walk out of here today and you say, your first step is to say, God, I want that peace. I, I'll give up what I, at all costs. I'll give up the things that I've been trying to get so that I can get life with peace. I want you to know today that that's the start of your conversation, but it's the place to start. If you need to do that today. Do it during the song. I'll be back there to pray with you. I love you. Better is, want, is life. Better is life one hand with peace than two handfuls of hell. Would you stand up and sing with us this morning to God?